let's turn to that book now. That's an excellent prayer that uh, we would see His truth revealed. We're going to look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. That's page 1655 of your pew Bibles. John 6, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed upon the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's seek the Lord once more. Lord, heaven, uh, we, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, the truth contained in your word. And we ask that you would take even this very familiar passage and familiar miracle and reveal to us what you want for us today and for the day to come and, and perhaps even for the coming year. Lord, we, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for that which we see and that which we have yet to see. Amen. I hope you'll keep your finger open on that spot because we're going to return to this passage uh, as we, as I move through the message today. But um, I have to begin by admitting that this this sermon is recycled um, in a couple of ways. The first is it's printed on recycled paper. Uh, one of the few things I do for the environment, I do believe that Christians ought to be good stewards of the earth, but I'm not the best example of that. Uh, one, my one concession to earth friendliness is to is to reuse paper. Frequently it'll either be paper that is made as uh, containing a certain amount of recycled content or I will simply use the other side of a page that I've already printed something on. Um, so that is my one concession uh, is recycling paper. Well, and sermons and jokes. Uh, those, those as well. So uh, Plus to demonstrate how much I care about the environment, I printed it on green paper. So um, green. I'm very colorblind and he's lied to me. It was a, so I blame her. Um, but more than that, this sermon is recycled because I, I gave it here more than 10 years ago, as I'm sure you will remember vividly. In fact, I can see that some do because they're already asleep. And, uh, I'll, I'll probably 
probably know, uh, yeah, who's heard it be before. Uh, you've heard these jokes and these stories before, but don't think of them as repetition. Think of them as kind to the environment. All right? Just... And I didn't recycle this sermon because I had nothing else to say today. One of the, uh, uh, one of the interesting things about uh, being able to or being asked to speak at other churches in the area is that they will frequently say, well, we're on this particular theme or would you speak on this topic? And I think, you know, I, I, I had a sermon on that and I'll go back digging through my files and in the process. It's sort of like going to the library when you're looking for a particular book. You, you pass a bunch of titles on the way. You think, oh, that looks interesting. That looks interesting. I'm going through my sermons and I'm thinking, well, that was dreadful. Oh, gosh. That's... And I just have to say, you people are, are gracious and, and patient. Um, I just want you to know, I pulled this from the best of file. Okay. No, really. Uh, I'm doing it because as I prayed about what to say today, this passage came to mind. And I, thought, I do have a sermon on that. And I went and I, and I found it. And I realized how much each of us, young and old, whether we're just starting out or with many miles on the odometer, needs to hear this. I need to hear this today. Especially with the year that we've just gone through and unfortunately how the new year has already started. As a friend of mine said, well, it was a good five days. Here's to 2022. You know, so. <laughs> so we read this amazing, famous story. The miracle of Jesus is feeding 5,000 people or certainly more by somehow we can only just imagine, or more honestly, I can't imagine, some kind of miracle. I only picture a scene where baskets get passed, passed around and people keep reaching in and pulling out little loaves and salted fish. But how it happens, I don't know. You know, it's like a magician's hat, you know, where things just keep, keep coming out of it. I, I can picture this hillside where everyone has gathered, and remember, this is at a minimum 5,000 men, it says, and we can easily imagine a, a partner with each one of those, and maybe some kids in the mix, so we're talking between five and maybe 15 or 20,000 people. And we know at least one little boy was there. So the crowd is likely much larger than 5,000. And I picture this enormous crowd all gathered around and told to sit down on the grass. Jesus is up on a, on a little hillside. And somewhere in the middle there is Jesus, his disciples, and some poor kid who's about to have his lunch taken away. <laughs> now there are a couple of things I want to pull out from this story because I believe that they're important for followers of Jesus in 2021. The first is that it says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now look at the way he sets it up. They see this crowd approaching, this mass of people approaching, and Jesus turns to Philip and said, Where shall we buy bread that these people may eat? Think of Philip. He's going, What are you talking about? We don't have any money and there's no place to buy it if, if we did. But then it goes on to say, he asked this only to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. Philip is already fine, kind of feeling in a bind. He's, he's, he's already feels uh, uh, compelled by Jesus to, 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 to respond in some way, but he hasn't a clue. But Jesus does. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Some of you had big plans a year ago today. 
Some had no plans at all. Some of you knew what you were going to do for the next year. Some had no idea. But regardless of where you were on the anticipation or planning uh, spectrum, nobody anticipated that the whole world was going to get turned upside down. And even if we did, we all assumed that by now, the world would be right side up again. No matter how much future you think you had stretched out in front of you and how much of that future was mapped out, remember this, Jesus already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He's already been where we are going. He knows what's in store for you. He knows the opportunities. He knows the problems that are in your future. He knows the highs and the lows already. And he already knows what he's going to do. We don't know. We're a lot more like the disciples wondering what in the world he's up to. Uh, you know, there may be times coming when you say, like they did, it's hopeless. We're in big trouble. What are we going to do? What are you asking me for? <laughs> they may not have said it out loud, but I'll bet more than one disciple had this thought. Jesus, what are you doing? Hands up if you've had a thought like that at some point this year. Okay. just don't have very much to offer. 
This story reminds us that it isn't how much we have to bring to Jesus, it's that we bring whatever we do have to Jesus. The point is made in the story that even if the disciples had had a truckload of bread and fish, it wouldn't have been enough. They go on to say, okay, here's the, the little boy and his lunch, and Phil, uh, Andrew says, well, you know, that, that's, I know that's not going to do any good. But then the, the disciples go on to, to speak up and says, look, you know, we, if we had a year's wages, we couldn't feed this whole crowd here. So it really didn't matter if they brought a little bit to Jesus or a lot to Jesus. Jesus still had to do his thing. He still had to do a miracle. I do hope that you will give yourselves and everything that you are every day to Jesus and trust Him to do amazing things with your life. Someone once said that we bring our lives to Jesus like a huge lump of gold and say, Jesus, well, here you are. And He says, thank you very much. And then He changes it into quarters and gives it back to us and say, now spend it in a way that makes me look good. And don't make the mistake of thinking that because you're a youth or even middle age or way behind you in the rearview mirror, that this doesn't apply to you. The needs and demands and opportunities and stresses and dangers of life are too much for anybody. Whether you think you come to Jesus with a lot or with a little, it doesn't matter if you feel like you've got a truckload of accomplishments and talents or if you think of yourself as having less than a little boy's lunch. Jesus still has to do his thing. So if you want to see amazing and miraculous stuff, if you want to live a life where you see God making something wonderful out of it, even if you think most of it is behind you, bring what you've got to Him. Bring yourself to Him. Remember, this is a crowd of maybe 15,000 people. And in a crowd that size, Jesus Himself probably wasn't visible before He got too many rows back in the crowd. Everybody saw the pictures of the crowd in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, but uh, there was a President Trump up near the front, but the people way back beyond the Washington Monument couldn't see anything. They had no idea what was going on, and, and I thought those people can't even see the president. You know, they're they're so he's so far out of view. If you imagine this crowd, the people at the outer edges probably never even knew that Jesus had done a miracle. They're just standing there trying to, you know, moving around and wondering what's going on. And the next thing you know, somebody hands them a basket and they go, cool, lunch. And they begin to eat. In a similar way, Jesus may not be visible to the people in your crowd, but you are. We're all the beneficiaries of others who have let God use their lives for His kingdom. One of the nice things about coming to church is that families come together to worship and serve multi-generationally. Grandparents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and in-laws and outlaws. And it reminds us that we are not a solo act. We are all the beneficiaries and the recipients of prayers and service and help and sacrifice of generations long before us. We're just here passing along the lunch. We're like the people on the outside edge of the crowd. We hardly realize the miracles that God has done out there somewhere and how much blessing He's poured out. Give yourselves and your present and your futures to Him because He'll not only bless you, but He will bless through you to others you haven't even met yet, who may not even be born, in ways that you can't even imagine. 
I'm almost done. Hang in there. <clears throat> By the way, almost done means we're maybe halfway through. Okay, it's just, just a little preacher talk here. But one more thing from this story, a point that often gets overlooked, but I think that in our present circumstances, this may be the most important one and the reason that this passage came to mind as I prayed about today. After the miracle, after everybody has eaten, after maybe they've all gone home, all the excitement has died down. Notice that Jesus tells his disciples, go out and gather up the scraps. He says, don't let anything go to waste. Don't let anything go to waste. So here's the point. Clean up after yourselves. See? Kind of the environment. You can all go home now. <clears throat> Just kidding. No, the point is in what Jesus says, let nothing go to waste. A man and a woman had been married for more than 60 years. They had shared everything. They had talked about everything. They had kept no secrets from each other, except that the little old woman had a shoebox in the top of her closet that she cautioned her husband never to open or to ask her about. For all of these years, he'd never thought about the box. In fact, he'd long forgotten it. But one day, the little old woman got very sick, and the doctor said she would not recover. In trying to sort out their affairs, the little old man took down the shoebox and brought it to his wife's bedside. She agreed that it was time that, she, that he should know what was in the box. And when he opened it, he found two crocheted dolls and a stack of money totaling $95,000. He asked her about the contents. When we were to be married, she said, my grandmother told me the secret of a happy marriage was never to argue. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doll. The little old man was so moved he had to fight back tears. Only two precious dolls were in the box. He almost burst with happiness. Honey, he said, that explains the dolls, but what about all this money? Where did it come from? Oh, she said, that's the money I made from selling the dolls. <laughs> There's a woman who let nothing go to waste, not even her anger. Notice that John does not tell us what the bread and fish pieces were used for. Jesus was pointed about collecting them and saying nothing was to go to waste. And it even mentions that they collected 12 baskets of all of the broken pieces. And we know that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. And as Ray Vanderlaan frequently says, when you see a detail in the Bible, it's there for a reason. We see that the details of the number of loaves and fishes and the boys' lunches included. Why give us that detail? No one knows concretely why, probably to emphasize how small the lunch was. Probably more significance than that. What about the 12 baskets full? Well, people have speculated about the 12 tribes of Israel and all, all sorts of things. Why mention it? Was it just because there were 12 disciples and each disciple got to carry one basket? Was it just to emphasize that this was actual bread and fish and that a literal miracle had taken place and not some sort of symbolic thing where everybody was shamed into hauling out their own lunch or, or something like that? We don't know concretely. There are lots of attempted explanations. But we do know this. There was a lot of food left over. Twelve baskets of it. Which prompts the next question. Where do those 
12 baskets go? What did Jesus intend for those 12 baskets full of food? Again, we can speculate. We might say, well, they, they went over to the neighboring village and they gave them to the congregational kitchen. <laughs> or they sat down and they packed a load of clamshells for take home. Or, or each disciple was going to tote that basket around like his personal lunchbox for the next couple of days. We don't know. Maybe, maybe. No hint is given in the scripture. <clears throat> and here's what I think. This is why nobody consults me for Bible commentaries. I think it's by design. I think God left that blank unfilled on purpose. Principally so that we would speculate or imagine what God might do with it. John doesn't say this, and sometimes what John doesn't say, at least here, is as important as what he has told us thus far. Why would God leave that sort of sentence unfinished? They collect these 12 baskets. Jesus says, nothing be wasted, and we want him to wrap it up. But he doesn't. And I think it was to point to us that in our own lives, we don't always get to see how God finishes the sentence. What God does with what we've committed to Him. What God does when He takes our scraps and we've offered Him to them and be, He has determined nothing will go to waste. And we want to say, how God? How Jesus? How is it that you're going to take this and make something glorifying to you out of it? And we don't get to see. But remember, Jesus knows what He is going to do. God intended for us to speculate and to leave some blanks in the story because he will fill them in, in time, in this life when we get to see it or someday when we're in heaven and he gets to unroll the story out in front of us. You know, we're told that God is, does exceedingly more than we can ask or even imagine. I don't know about you, but I realize that my imagination is pretty paltry. Oh, I think it's extravagant. I think the things that I can imagine God doing are, are really uh, amazing. But <clears throat> when you actually see what he does, and when you're privileged sometimes to see the way God works to make sure that not a scrap goes to waste, it, it exceeds our capacity, or at least my capacity, to imagine. God left those 12 baskets sort of hanging out there to represent the unfolding mystery of how his ways are higher than our ways and how he's got stuff in play that we just don't see coming. Again, we don't know what Jesus had planned for the basket of scraps, but we do know that he doesn't waste anything. We're always hearing about recycling, but we didn't invent it. God doesn't let anything go to waste. If we will offer him our lives and futures, however big or small they appear to us, he'll bless them and multiply them to bless others, even generations from now. Now, we could doubt that, and we could decide we're going to do our own thing. We could say, no thanks, God, I'd, I'd like my take my own chances and make my own choices. And if we do, then the day may come down the road, find, uh, we might find ourselves standing among broken pieces. When life hasn't gone the way that we thought it, that it would, when we've been hurt by people, or maybe we've done the hurting. If our dreams haven't materialized or we feel like we haven't made any progress at all, here's what we do. We pick those pieces up and we give them to Jesus. Because he can bless and do miracles on the front end when we offer him our lives. And it's all bright and shiny and, and, and hasn't 
been dinged up yet. And he can use them, our lives, on the back end when they've been broken and bruised and dirty. The key, that is wherever we are and wherever we hear that, offer our lives to him. I started college with one major and career in mind. After two years, I realized that God was taking me in a different direction, and I had to change majors. And at first, I looked upon those two years of the other major as a waste. Wasted time, wasted effort, wasted money. And now I was two years behind where I needed to be. But God wastes nothing when we give the pieces to Him. And I have since recognized countless times when God has used what I thought was wasted experience in wonderful ways. I dare say everyone in this room can think on some experiences in life that they wish had never happened. Can I get an amen? They may regret bitterly things that they've done, decisions that they've made that turned out badly, injustices that were perpetrated upon them, their disappointments and griefs and shames and wrong turns of all shapes and sizes in life. There is only one who can take all of those broken pieces and somehow, and we don't know how, use them in ways that bless us and others and somehow make him look good. We think back upon this year, a pandemic, lockdowns, online school, lost jobs, masks, fear, social distancing, personal, financial, and global crisis. What about the future of the church, capital C, even this church, little c? If we only look at the broken pieces, we are going to despair. But when we realize that somewhere in the crowd, Jesus is doing a miracle and that he has plans even for the broken pieces, then we're going to move forward with hope, knowing that he doesn't waste a single thing. Imagine that little boy on the morning of this miracle. His mother's packing him a little lunch saying, if you're going to be out with your dad all day, I want you to have something to eat here. Who could have imagined how that tiny resource would be used to glorify God and bless others and create a story that we're still talking about 2,000 years later? As Jesus' disciples sat around the table with him at the Last Supper, and he handed them a little piece of broken bread, they must have wondered at the significance of this. Who could have guessed? We all know that life is uncertain, it is unpredictable, it is unfair. We will make wrong choices and have experiences that we will regret. We'll make honest, well-intentioned efforts that will fail. And when those times come, remember this story and remember that God doesn't waste anything. Jesus already knows what's coming for you. He knows what he's going to do. He knows the blessings and the miracles and the joy in store if you will give him yourself. He knows all about plan A. He also knows about plan B and plan C and Q and X to the 10th power. He is still in the business of blessing and of doing miracles and with whatever your future is, whatever your past is, whether loaves and fishes or baskets of scraps. If you give yourselves completely to him, the God who wastes nothing. Amen. Amen.